Welcome to the Kill the Lion podcast. It's me, Cody Clark. We got a great show for you today. John Otis is here, filmmaker, uh, friend of mine, made a great movie, Caramel Sugar Moxie, that you can watch for free on YouTube. He made it a number of years ago, but it's just as fresh as the day he made it, if not more relevant. If you like this show, by the way, uh, killthelinefilms.com, $2 per month. That's all we ask. It keeps us afloat here at the podcast, and it keeps us making great movies uh, that we pretty much just release for free. So uh, anything you can do to help us is, is great, and we only ask $2. And now, John Otis. All right, John, good to talk to you. Thank you for having me, Cody. <laughs> I, I love this podcast, and uh, it, it feels it feels really special. Um, I don't know what to say, like being amongst the people from your podcast, there's a lot of great names and, and, and just being amongst them is an honor. So thank you, Cody. Well, thank you for being on the show. I've been a fan of your work for a while and of course we're friends too, but, um, I'm a big fan of Caramel Sugar Moxie. I think it's a wonderful film. Um, what year did you make that again? Um, that was shot in 2006 and I released it in 2007 um, it, it's gone through a few different iterations since then, because when we premiered it, we ended up editing it after. And the 2013 version that we put up on YouTube is the one that you saw, and that's the superior version. Um, so yeah, that, that's kind of the the tale of the of the film there. Well, it it really captures um, the early 2000s extremely well. To the point that it's, you know, beyond it being a good story and the performances being engaging and all that, it, it's a bit of a document. Um, I can watch that and I, I just remember the aesthetic of that time period so clearly uh, through that as like a prompt. It just kind of jogs my memory. And I feel like, you know, that wasn't a time period that was captured particularly well. There isn't that much media that really goes into the idea of even capturing that time period, like some of the most successful movies from that time period, super bad or whatever, they're kind of just doing their own thing. Whereas mm-hmm. your film was just really, really close to what that vibe was like, particularly, I, I mean, I guess in, in Canada, of course, but in the States as well. Yeah. Um, the, the thing about the time period, like we weren't even thinking of this being a, a timepiece really, but, when when you said that when I first showed it to you, I was like, you know what, this is actually kind of a revelation of sorts for me because that wasn't something we intended to do. We were just, you know, making our film and, and just writing it what what was uh, inspiring to us at the time. And um, I, I kind of like how you uh, how you en- encapsulated it like that as kind of uh, yeah a timepiece or uh, of sorts. Yeah, really, it really like could go into a time capsule. Like if if people were putting something together to kind of explain the vibe of that time, it could go straight into a time capsule into the ground and just be dug up. And I think people would understand, you know, the personalities, the fashions, the energy, and also, you know, I really like the story because I I, I like these kinds of stories. Like I like not necessarily antagonists, just kind of a protagonist going through some shit and what they're struggling with isn't, you know, life or death in like a, you know, very, you know, Avengers-esque way, but just the the kind of day-to-day stuff anybody would go through, the struggles in that regard. I kind of, you know, if I were to describe the plot, I'm going to I'm going to try to do it without spoiling. It's about a girl who goes through a uh, traumatic injury or a rather repeated injuries. Uh, it's not really clear. And she also is doing some questionable things in her life. And it's just about her trying to get along with the people around her um, and get through life in dealing with the wake of those kind of two events, you know, something that happened to her and also something that she kind of chose to do. But those two things are kind of intertwined in a, in a certain way. Um, th- th- that's a, a good summary. Uh, and it, it's actually based off of someone that I knew at the time who didn't end up doing what the, the protagonist or the, the lead character did in the movie. Um, but she did have multiple concussions and the, the literal line of her saying her brain is deteriorating was actually taken from someone who had multiple concussions that was a friend of mine. Um, so that was kind of 
drawn from real life. And then, so I was thinking, okay, how does this film continue from here? We have this person who is kind of destructive in a way, but doesn't really uh, feel like it because she's young and 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 she has lots of vibrancy and she's um she's just trying to live her life, you know, with her friends and social circle. But that leads her to having a week off of school uh, where she's kind of just trying to get back on her feet after her most recent injury and getting social again, even against her mother's wishes. So, uh, and, and obviously it leads to where it leads, um, in, in a way, um, that was inevitable in a sense, just because of her notoriety and, and her social circles, uh, that she, uh, that she, um, resides in. That line that you described where she talks about her brain deteriorating is is one of my favorite moments in the film. I think I've <laughs> probably referenced it a million times in DMs and 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 stuff between us. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I just love, because basically she mispronounces the word deteriorating and in her performance just perfectly <laughs> captures like the innocence of somebody going through something that's just so far beyond what they could ever comprehend is is happening to them um which is relatable because it's it is kind of like the unknown like the brain is the unknown for us all um mm-hmm. so we just kind of feel for her in that moment and it, it happening to this teenage girl is just so heartbreaking but also just you can't help but be endeared by her kind of oddly happy-go-lucky approach to what's going on with her um, yeah, yeah. It's also, you know, oddly relevant in that way too, because obviously traumatic brain injuries and um, repeated concussions has been something that's been really focused on the last ten years or so. Whereas when you guys were making it, it wasn't really in the forefront as far as like what we were talking about. But now, of course, we understand how much can can change in a person because mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. these concussions, uh, whether you're an athlete or you know, whatever, you know, you can, you can really, your, your entire personality can change. You can do things that, that are unthinkable. It's, it's something, you know, I I feel like the movie is relevant on so many levels and it just kind of needed some time and needed some years to really, for the world to kind of catch up to the wavelength that you guys were on. Well, those are really flattering words. Thanks. (laughs) Thank you, Cody. It really was, and and like I said, you saying it's a time capsule, kind of ringing true to me now. In that, also, it was the beginning of social media and cell phone addiction. And at the time, I was living around. I was twenty at the time, or twenty-two at the time when I filmed that. And I was kind of seeing the reliance on social media and what it was doing to people, and how that plays a role in the film as well and the and the the cell phone connections too and and at the time we everyone was just using you know flip phones i don't even think the the first iphone was out at the time but maybe it was but i I wanted to incorporate that into the film as well and 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 really show that and focus that on kind of the youth being addicted to it and everything yeah it has that early internet feel as well you know Mm -hmm. pre-social media so you, I mean, you're you're hitting on all fronts as far as like this movie, you know, going into the Library of Congress as far as like a uh, <laughs> you know important film or whatever. You got the you know the CTEs, you got the time period, you got the pre-social media, you got all these aspects, and on top of it, it's just a very engaging film. So you know this this came across my radar because you kind of were like thinking like, oh man, should I send him my movie? Should I, should I not? Yeah. And then yeah. you finally like, you're like, all right, I'll just send it to him. If he doesn't like it, whatever. I ended up loving it. Um, what was that moment before you kind of share your work? Cause it is a vulnerable thing. Everybody's gone through it where you, you know, you're friends with somebody and you, you're like, all right, should I, are they going to like my stuff? Like, what's this going to be like? Um, what made you decide to just be like, all right, I'll just, I'll, I'll send it. I'll bite the bullet. Well, I, I had been following you for, I'm, I think, maybe even a year prior, but I hadn't really started paying attention to your um, your Twitter until like the COVID lockdown started, and then you made Blurry Finger, which was really inspiring to me. 
and then you started work immediately on Ramekin and you were just turning things out. And, and I was just really inspired by your work and your work ethic and, and making it happen. And I was like, there was one time where I had this like fire in me to do this and to be what you are. And this is what came of it uh, was Caramel Sugar Moxie, my second film. And I made a film two years prior to that as well. So Caramel Sugar Moxie is my second feature film. But I was like, you know what? Maybe I'll send it to him. It seems like it could potentially be up his alley um, because of how independent it is and how he's always, you know, talking about how truly independent films need to be seen more, need to be made more. So I, I just took the leap from there, and I was like, okay, I got to send it to, to him. And and then I did, and then I was just so so elated by your reaction to it in fact it was yeah that was what one of the best reactions i've had to caramel sugar moxie um ever so yeah i'm still i i champion it every chance i get because it's still kind of underseen on youtube i think i'm the only comment on it currently which is just absurd yeah (laughs) (laughs) but i kind of like that too i feel like you should probably lock comments after that just grandfather (laughs) me in and just who cares okay i'll just i'll just pin yours and then lock comments because i think if you lock comments it, it just shows no comments so okay We'll figure Unless out a way. Maybe to I do pin it. it or something. Yeah, just yeah. pin it. Just uh, I want people to know that I was there. You know, mm-hmm, I, exactly I, uh, made my mark, <laughs> so to speak. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it's it's criminally underseen. It's probably got one or two reviews on Letterboxd. You know, it's one of those things. Yeah, you where, you and Dan Lotz yeah. reviewed it, and I was just very uh, I was flattered for that too. I'm always flattered when people you know watch my stuff and taking my stuff. But it's been so long since I've I've done my own creative work. Like I haven't done anything like Caramel Sugar Moxie since 2006 2007. So it's been a long time coming. I've been doing lots of work uh, uh, of other projects and and with other people doing different sort of things in film and music and stuff, but nothing until or nothing since then have I ever done until now. I'm actually getting the ball rolling um, on my next feature, um, which I can't say too much about, obviously, because I, I'm, I'm just writing the script right now and I just got the budget and I actually just um, secured a couple cameras that are on the way. Um, so things are, things are in motion to actually come out with my first uh, feature film, which will be, which will not be co-directed, because uh, Caramel Sugar Moxie, I had a partner, we co-directed, we co-wrote, we co-edited, we did the whole thing, like, front to back, me and him, um, his name is, uh, Daryl James, he's also a really good, uh, musical artist that, that, he's a genius musical artist, by the way, um, I'm gonna use him for my next film, uh, most definitely to compose some things, but. One of his tracks yeah, is in, right uh, Ramekin too. Yes, yes. Which you um, remixed, I believe. Which, uh, yeah, I did the remix for for the track, yes. <laughs> which is why I, I wanted to send it to you when you were asking for music for the soundtrack. I was like, okay, I have this song that I remixed from this band from my best friend who I worked on Caramel Sugar Moxie with. So that I, I, that was awesome that you included it. Yeah, it worked perfectly. I love that remix. It's it's mm-hmm, it really. Mm-hmm. I mean, the the original track is great too, but it just kind of like uh, balloons it to these epic proportions, and it worked so well for uh, the moment that I chose it for. For Rand yeah, it was. A, that, yeah, that was a great moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, talk to me a bit about uh, co-directing because I believe you're credited as the blessed undead together on uh caramel sugar moxie how did that name even come out because that that could be a movie in and of itself the blessed undead um the the name came out just because i i loved uh, zombies <laughs> like zombie films at the time and and uh, i still do um just because when i was younger like teenage years discovering a lot of zombie films wouldn't you um, want to see the blessed undead some like kind of church zombie uh horror movie <laughs> <laughs> um yeah that actually sounds awesome <laughs> uh but the the term blessed even comes in just because uh i am christian so i connected the 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 director um title the blessed undead of me and him uh to a verse in the bible and i actually forget the verse now so i don't even recall what the verse was but it it, it uh at the time, it was it, it seemed really profound to me. So I was like, okay, this is what we're going to call ourselves. Um, both of us have unconventional last names that aren't really poetic. So that's what we went with <laughs> at the time. 
And so how did the duties uh, split up? Like when you watched a movie, can you see the kind of stuff that you brought and the kind of stuff that he brought? Like, is it is it clear as a bell or is it, does it just kind of mesh together? Being so long since we've actually, since we uh, actually filmed together, kind of blurs things now. But a lot of like the story elements and, and the actual uh, camera work well, was was myself and he he was always a great uh how do i say confirmer of a lot of my decision making because he was the reason why i got into film in the first place like way back in high school uh he showed me uh punch drunk love for the first time and i was one of those kids that would say i don't like movies I, I I don't know how many kids say that, but for me, it, it was just like when I was growing up, they didn't offer me anything. Of course, all I was served up was these like Hollywood, you know, studio type stuff. And I didn't really care to look beyond it when I was a kid or, you know, in my teens. But he has an eye for cinema like no other. So I was like, me and him have to do this together. And yeah, you know, I, I have the more creative side in terms of the the writing and the the filmmaking aspect like where to put the camera but him being there you know he would shoot scenes he would direct scenes on his own and 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 i would man the the audio and then we would switch off and on so it it was a lot of that going on but it really was a partnership um that i I'm, i'm gonna miss going into my next film like all on my lonesome but uh having him there was was very very beneficial to the outcomes of of, of both the films we made and actually later on we did a music video together and it's one of my favorite works that we did and i had never had that freedom before because he even provided it was his music video for his um band and he provided like the budget for it and it, it was like i had never experienced that before someone else footing a budget for their art but then wanting me to film it and edit it and and come up with a story for it so yeah i'm grateful for him and our partnership in our in our first two films because you know without him i wouldn't even be here that's beautiful so what were you guys watching uh right before you made that movie because it kind of fits in with uh, a lot of the mumblecore stuff like bujalski or swanberg or uh frank v ross or or any of that early stuff was that something you were aware of at the time and watching or was that just kind of like you know coincidentally everybody was kind of similarly thinking about shooting movies on dv and and having them feel a little bit more real uh what were what was the inspiration as far as that um i'm gonna be honest i didn't even hear i didn't even know what mumblecore was until i heard you mention it (laughs) um maybe it was in a tweet or a dm at some time but at the time we were his his favorite filmmaker at the time was Paul Thomas Anderson mine at the time was Darren Aronofsky and i loved requiem for a dream he he loved magnolia uh but but we expanded from that from that to gummo with uh harmony kareen uh werner herzog ingmar bergman um, we were taking in a lot of stuff because at the time I was uh, working at a movie theater that had a art series, which is pretty rare in my city. We're not a big city, but we're not a small city, but we're not big enough to attract foreign movies and and other types of independent film. But I was lucky enough to work in a movie theater that that actually had an art series. So every week a new film a new foreign film would come out or a, a new um, independent film would come out and we, we would get to see them. So, I mean, you, you live in New York City, so you practically, you know, get to see whatever you want almost if you, if you have, you know, the means to, to travel um, wherever you need to go. But, um, yeah, it, it was kind of a, a, a really magical time in my creativity as a young man, like coming into my own, graduating high school and and finding myself through film that I hadn't even had a love previous to when I was 18. And then when Daryl, my partner, was like showing me these films. So it kind of just blossomed from there. We 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 kind of we tried to see whatever we could, but we we were limited to uh, what was just playing around us and what we could 
get from the 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 rental stores around us which didn't doesn't really didn't really carry much because you know there isn't that much distributed into my city which i live in london ontario in canada and 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 ordering off the internet wasn't the biggest thing at the time so we never really did that but but we may do (laughs) i was uh researching yesterday to try and figure out like what the biggest movie theater in the world was because i realized like i didn't I didn't know where it was, what it was, you know, how many screens and also like what's the biggest movie theater screen in the world, etc. A lot of it seems to be like India and stuff. But I, I recently discovered that in Canada, you have the most screens in a multiplex. There's a multiplex in Canada that has like 30 or 35 screens on it. So wow, interesting. Yeah. Have, have, I, I did not know that. <laughs> have you have you been there do you know no, what I'm talking no, about? I'm trying not. to. Go- I'm furiously googling it right now, trying to remember exactly <laughs> where it is. I want to say it's on Ontario or something, but I'm going to say maybe it's it's got to be in Toronto, maybe yeah. maybe Montreal, maybe Vancouver. Well, I knew it the other day. I don't know it offhand right now, but I I find that interesting that it has you in Canada have uh, the most uh, multiplex <laughs> screen multiplex ever, um, which is pretty cool. Yeah, that's uh, that that would be a little overwhelming, but a lot of choice. But uh, although now, when a movie comes out, they would just throw it in ten of the theaters. So exactly, you know, ten of the screens would just be taken up by whatever the new, you know. <laughs> yeah, I would I would love a multiplex that if they have thirty uh, screens, they're playing thirty different movies. Yeah, that would long. be awesome. That would be beautiful. <laughs> I would love that. Yeah. All <laughs> right, so I wanted to ask you about. Um, kind of what you're doing to kind of give new life visually to caramel sugar moxie and also what you've been playing with in general with uh with ai as far as like upscaling uh old dv footage because you've been doing some incredible tests uh nothing the the listeners at home can see but you know you dm me like clips and stuff and it kind of blows my mind what you can do with with old dv footage nowadays with uh, ai upscaling yes so with caramel sugar moxie, I, I am in the um, process of upresing it and and turning it HD because we shot it on a, a Canon XL2, which is a mini DV, so it shoots in like 480 by 720p. Um, so I want that HD. As, as for how I'm doing it, well, currently I'm still working on the audio. It, it's taken me a long time, but there, there's my my life is being pulled in so many different directions right now. Uh, some of them I, I can't even say just because of how, you know, it, it my family has been affected recently by some tragedies. So I'll, I'll just leave that at that. But I am currently fixing audio on it for Caramel Sugar Moxie. I'm going to up it and I'm going to um, de-interlace it, which I use Topaz AI. And that does an, a phenomenal job of de-interlacing. I mean, I, I tried actually deinterlacing it in Final Cut Pro 7, um, which is what I used to use, but it actually doesn't work that well um, with deinterlacing. There, there's still some left behind, but Topaz works really well. Um, and as for how I want it to look, like basically there, there's a compression that comes with all this digital stuff. So there's a way you can uh, remove compression entities. There's a way you can remove noise um, and, and constantly doing that and testing the different levels of, okay, I want this much noise removed. I want this much uh, compression artifact removed. Um, I want to sharpen it just a little. A lot of times the sharpening can ruin something uh, when you're upresing it to AI. And, it, and sometimes, you know, I won't even, I won't even put something like that out because it just looks very unnatural and I wouldn't want to put something out like that with the, uh, the way it sharpens it sometimes. Um, but there's still a lot of bugs in it that, that, that they're actually constantly updating. And it's almost annoying in a way because they have a new update almost daily for, for the software. And I have to keep renewing it. And when I do like, sure, it's like fixing things, but there it's mainly things that in my mind, like I, I wasn't really afflicted with previously. Uh, so it, it's kind of um, strange. Soft. I'm not really doing anything else with AI other than uh, the Topaz, like upresing and and fixing stuff and maybe even like working on some old skateboarding footage that I have. I, I showed you uh, some old footage of a 
short film I did. And I'm actually going to redo that one because there are some glitches in it that I notice. And I'm hoping that the new the new upgrades fix the the glitches. The the actual um, short film is called uh, December 6, 2008. And it's it's based on a snowfall that happened that day that was one of the biggest snowfalls of uh, that, that I've ever lived through. And I live in Canada, so there's lots of big snowfalls. But this one in particular was like uh, three feet of snow in a single night. So I just went out and I was like, I have to film this. This is like so cinematic. And I just took my camera out in the middle of the night. And for, for hours and hours, I just filmed everything I could find. Like I, I, I found a salt truck that was just stuck uh, in the snow. Other people just stranded in the snow. And, and one gentleman in particular who was in the middle of the night shoveling his driveway and he was a very interesting individual, and he he was wondering why I was carrying a camera around. So I just kind of put it on him, and and he told his little story. But um, yeah, I'm I'm upresing that, and I want to release that soon. I, again, um, because I have released it previously on YouTube, but it's in it's in like 280p because I uploaded it in 2006. So <laughs> or or whatever the whatever the horrible um 360p whatever the horrible uh uploads they had back then that's kind of like where it sits right now and i just want to renew some old stuff as well as create newer stuff when i get my new cameras and then i'll, I'll have like a nice uh library of things i can put on a new youtube that i can start building on yeah it's pretty incredible the uh because we're basically at the forefront of all this this is all stuff that's like you said they're constantly tinkering with it um mm-hmm. but the the, the stuff that you can do right now is just pretty insane to think about because basically it means you're never limited by the camera that you use anymore as far as resolution, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, because there are, there are reasons why, you know, these older cameras are great. You know, they have a better lens. Usually they, uh, you know, they have a nice zoom on them. Uh, the colors can be a little bit more palatable. There's reasons mm-hmm. why people would want to use these older cameras, but then there are like with anything else, there's always downsides as well, which is, you know, if you if you want to do it tapeless, if you want to record to a hard drive, you need to carry around something that it plugs into. Like there's different things you can do that uh, honestly skateboarders have figured out more than the filmmakers lately because they're they're the ones that really care about a lot of these older cameras. Yeah, um, yeah. But uh, yeah, it's it's. I just love the idea of a future where you know you can make a movie that's 4K on a camera that's like 480p, and nobody's even going to know. They're just going to know that like, oh wow, that that the global shutter you know makes all the motion looks be- look better, and you can do these great zooms and et cetera, and the color looks nice and and whatever. Like I, I I just like the idea of a future where no matter what you have, you can unlock so much potential from. And it seems like Topaz kind of sees the same possibility and and wants that future as well, which is really cool. Yeah. And and it's funny that you say that I jogged my memory of something that I'm doing with Caramel Sugar Moxie um, and and what Topaz can do. Um, It it can add frames between frames in, in an optical flow kind of way, but even better. So what I mean by that is for Caramel Sugar Moxie, there's one sequence that I shot. I mean, we shot the whole film in 24 frames. Actually, we had two different cameras. Um, we, we did have a Sony VX2 shooting it. That only shot 30p, though. That didn't shoot 24. So it, it's kind of um, a, a mishmash of cameras that we couldn't really match, which kind of sucks. But But that being said, there was one scene that was shot in the candy store, uh, and afterwards what I call like the business shot when it's just a straight on long lens zoom shot of just three people walking towards the camera. I slow mode that shot, but when you slow mo 24 frames, it, it looks really bad. <laughs> but what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to put it into Topaz and create a frame rate of, um, that will increase the amount of frames so that when it slows down, it will be it will be like a perfect slow mo shot. Um, and unless it doesn't work, I'm not going to include it. But if it looks fine, if it passes my visual test, I'm going to um, create that. And that's something crazy, like how you can shoot something in 24 frames, but then up it to 120. I probably won't go that high. I'll probably just go like 60. 
But then when I put it into 50 frames per sec, or when I put it into um, 50% speed, then it'll actually look smooth and it won't be jittery. And yeah, it won't, it, it'll look a lot better. Yeah, it kind of uh, makes me excited for a future where, you know, certain movies that maybe the only uh, print still in existence is some VHS tape or something um, mm-hmm. could be uh, given new life uh, and resurrected through AI. I feel like that's one of the positive things uh, AI can bring us. Um, yeah, obviously, yeah. there's so many negatives, but I really do think that upscaling technology and kind of uh, repair as far as lost media is concerned or or earlier formats, I think that could be a really interesting thing that it could bring us. And that's what I'm most excited about. I'm, ex- I'm excited about things where, you know, you can kind of resurrect things uh, through AI. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes, definitely uh, valuable, very valuable. There, there is a um, a YouTube page that I, I watch frequently. They're they're doing it right now by taking all the early like two thousand um, skate videos and doing exactly what you're saying. And uh, I know you mentioned that if I were to do that on Twitter or on YouTube, it would be uh, it, it would be very valuable and it would be um, something that people would value, but. Uh, there's already people doing it better than me at a higher rate than me. So I'm like, Oh man, okay. These guys are already doing that. Even though I have all these skate videos and, and, and early um, VHS and skate DVDs that I could do that for. Well, I'm glad it's not just us. I'm glad it's uh, a lot of people because it means that, you know, the technology is just going to get better faster, Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. which is, it's just a really exciting time. I'm excited for that for sure. So uh, you mentioned you're working on your first solo feature. Um, do you have a plan as to when you want to start shooting? Uh, how far in the process are you? Um, I am, I would say I'm 2% into pre-production. So what I want to do is have it filmed, um, next summer. I was hoping to have it done this summer, but my mother passed away a few years ago and we, we've been in a battle trying to, to get our inheritance out of the the clutches of the government by working with like tax entities and and the government in the in the country and it's just been such a hard time to like finally get what you know <laughs> what as as kids of our mother like what we um what she allotted to us and I finally got it I was hoping to have gotten it a year ago but now I have it and um, now the plan is for next year to have my film filmed because I needed, I want it done in the summer. Uh, I want it shot in the summer because winters, a, a winter film would be a totally different film and vibe for what I'm, I'm writing right now. So that wouldn't be, I, I could potentially do it in the spring next year as well, depending how fast I write this script, but things are coming together now. And I'm just grateful that finally it, it is. Would you ever want to do, you know, some other project? Maybe you shoot it in a day or a weekend or something, something that's less dear to you, but maybe you like the premise of of the or the idea of just kind of, you know, to get back on that bicycle a little bit or whatever. Because uh, I, you of course know that sometimes I'll do that, you know, between projects or uh, other filmmaker friends of mine will do that. You just kind of crap something out. Is that something that you're attracted to or would you rather kind of save yourself for, you know, a project that that you really truly care about and would want to work towards over the course of years? Um, it, it is something that I, I would care about. And here's the thing, like when I get my cameras, I'm going to be filming with them as much as possible, learning my way around them. Um, it, it's kind of a new era for me. Like I've, I've had these HD cameras from like 2010, just these camcorders and they haven't really carried over. They haven't carried through. Like I, I, I've shot a, um, uh, a, a local cable, like TV comedy sketch show with them. Um, I, I've shot some music videos with them, but they just don't do what I want them to do. And, and so that's why I don't want to use those. I never liked the outcomes of, of what I've done with them in terms of what i've made like i feel like i've made good stuff with them but i've never been fully the 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 words escaping me i've never been fully satisfied that's it with with the outcomes of those cameras 
And even previous to that, the only cameras I had were 480p, you know, uh, mini DV cameras. But I want to learn my way around these cameras. I want to shoot projects. I want to shoot people. I want to shoot small ideas, potentially a, a bigger idea in the meantime. But I, I do really want to hit the ground running when when I uh, get these cameras in. And and yeah, the, it, it'll be there will be a flood of content coming out of me um, when that happens. I'm glad to hear that. It was kind of a loaded question because that was obviously what I was rooting for. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> but you know, that, that's really cool. Cause obviously practice makes perfect. And I, I always feel like people should practice in plain sight in kind of like hidden ways. Like I'll come out with a YouTube video and nobody but me knows that I'm doing kind of an audio test or I'm doing a, a, a lens test or something. They're just watching some piece of whatever, but mm-hmm, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm getting practice and I'm figuring it out just cause it's more fun than like you know, throwing up some test footage on Vimeo or something and like you, yeah, you yeah. see it and a friend sees it or something. And, um, and so, sorry, go ahead. No, go for, go for it. Okay. I, I have to admit like this whole new revival too was inspired by you and by blurry finger, um, attack of the blurry finger specifically. Cause when I, when, when I was going through, you know, the, the pandemic and the lockdowns and then seeing that you're still making films on an iPhone six, was it? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. And, and I had an iPhone six at the time and I was just like, this, this man is just doing, just showing you what you can do with as little as possible and putting it out there and it's valuable. It's art. It's, it, it works. It, I mean, it was actually really eye-opening to see that happening again. I had been far away from like the creative independent film space for a while. So seeing that and, and had really did truly inspire me. So that's where, that's where my idea for what I would want to film, you know, the, the wheel started turning, like what could I do with the budget that I could potentially have? And, and yeah, so thank you, Cody. (laughs) Yeah, Blurry Finger was a very hard movie to make. Um, you know, it's shot on an iPhone, but it, more cuts and more intricate stuff that I had to do than any other movie, um, which is funny because I, I, I feel like I learned a lot about what goes into a B-movie or a monster movie or or anything like that through making that movie. I have so much more appreciation for, you know, even the dumbest stuff just because if I can see a lot of cuts and I can see a lot of stuff that had to be figured out, um, mm-hmm. you just can't poo poo any of that stuff based off like story or, or lack thereof. Like on a technical level, I'm, I'm just more impressed by that stuff since making that movie because on a technical level, blurry finger was fucking hard. Like it was, <laughs> it was, I, I started it, you know, thinking, Oh, it'll just be some fun, silly thing. But once you're like choreographing action sequences after action sequences after action sequences, it is it is <laughs> a nightmare. And then editing it all together and getting it to really kind of have that great rhythm. It's just uh, it was it was a very difficult movie. <clears throat> and, yeah, and, li- and listening to the commentary, you know, of you telling, you know, the logistics of having to have your finger in front of the camera while you're filming and yeah. then ha- having to, you know shout to chloe like this is when you react you know that yeah that seems very the the concept seems you know like like you said easy in the beginning or something fun to do let's do this project and then when you're in the weeds of it yeah i can see how logistically that would be very very difficult yeah for those at home i was basically puppeteering my finger in front of the camera watching myself puppeteering it directing Chloe, who of course could not see what the frame looked like, so she's <laughs> acting with nothing the entire movie. She's never interacting with anything. It's all just a camera trick. Um, it was just, and it's a there. There are sequences. There are so many different shots that we're just cutting between. Um, it was just I, I've never had to use my brain so much um, as far as directing goes. Usually, like when I'm directing, I can just go by my my heart or what I'm feeling or my gut. Um, but this was just so technical and so, so glad, like, I'm glad it's invisible to a lot of people to watch it because it means that I did my job. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that was, that was a nightmare in, in the best possible way. Cause I'm so proud of the movie, but 
it it just kind of uh it, it's it's doing stuff on a tight rope and no net and it's just kind of it gets a little it gets a little crazy there yeah yeah definitely so what kind of stuff do you like now like what kind of uh you know movies uh have you been inspired by not just my own but uh in general as far as the landscape of film what what excites you uh what what filmmakers do you you know, still go out and see and still pay attention to. Obviously, Paul Thomas Anderson is still cranking them out and doing them just as as well as he always has. But uh, who are your guys? Um, that's uh, I can't even really pin it down. Honestly, I'm I'm not really looking around at modern stuff and enjoying much of what's out there. It, it, it's hard. It, I I do take your recommendations to heart too. So. I mean, I, I watched Backstage recently. I purchased that and got a good copy of that. That was a really good film. I'm glad you um, checked that out. Yeah, that that was that was one I kind of pegged the uh, that you might like, um, and I'm glad I was right. Yes, it was. It was like the. It was one of the best openings to a movie I had ever seen. It was just enthralling, and and the the premise behind it of just some random teenager winning this contest where her favorite pop artist comes and and sings a ballad for her on live television and then her response to it was obviously tragically not you know television worthy um it was opposite the opposite of what they wanted but then she kind of wanted to to get that feeling again by befriending the 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 pop star the singing musician and I don't that that story was just really well done. So backstage, I've that was a really good movie. Yeah, the film um, we're talking about, by the way, if you guys want to look it up at home, it came out in two thousand five. It's a French film. Uh, it's directed by Emmanuel Berco. Wonderful film. I haven't seen that director's other stuff yet. I keep meaning to, and I, I forget to. But I, I will check out her her other stuff as well. But backstage is phenomenal. That was one I just kind of stumbled on at a used DVD store, and it just kind of seemed cool. And I got it for like two bucks and I was like, all right, I'll try it. Um, and I was just blown away. It, it's just some of the best uh, dramatic filmmaking tied to kind of a just a real awkwardness that, that it is so up my alley. And, and mm-hmm, I just really mm-hmm. enjoyed that one. I think a lot of filmmakers would like that one as well. Yeah. And then you also recommended to me The Florida Project which I love. And you recommended it to me because I mentioned on Twitter that I grew up in a motel. <laughs> so you're like, oh, you got to see this film. <laughs> so that was really yeah, funny, I was, but the film was really good. <laughs> I mean, I kind of would just want to like use you as like, is this accurate? Is this is this a good movie? <laughs> like even if you've done it in your own life, like, but oh, that, you, you yeah. seem to like it. Yeah, the, the film was amazing. It was one of the best like directed films of kids that I've ever seen, like yeah. kids in that environment. Um, just Just how you could tell there wasn't really a script but there were plot points that had to be met but they just let the the cameras roll and let the kids be kids and 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 obviously it's another tragic movie i i like tragic movies i like tragedies that's what i make that's what i want to make i will probably deviate from that you know at some point but i do feel like there's a void in you know film for real tragedies real like nuanced human emotional complex adult films that that end in tragic ways and i feel like there's lots of lessons to be learned when you're watching someone's slice of life um tragically and 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 what mistakes they've made and and kind of just not even being fully understanding because I, i don't like it when i'm i'm smarter than the movie i like it when the movie confuses me because people are confusing. So that that's what I like best when there's just this this human nature on screen and human nature is always confusing, always emotionally in every direction and not making sense, um, but making sense in a human nature way and then leading to a tragedy that could have been avoided. I feel like I, I gain a lot from from that kind of thing. So that's kind of what I want to make. Yeah, I love and respect uh, great tragedy when I see it. Uh, I'm like you in that regard. And it, it's funny because even great directors can kind of undercut any kind of tragedy they imbue into their work, especially like I would say like Scorsese. He kind of like always finds some way to undercut whatever his most tragic climactic moment is. Like uh, in De- The Departed, like it, 
you know, the final shot of that movie is is just a joke. Like, I'm not going to spoil it for people who haven't seen it, but it's just a stupid joke. And I think it's one of the worst final shots I've ever seen. Um, but there's moments of tragedy leading up to it that mm-hmm. you just kind of forget. And also, um, his movie Casino, which I, you know, it's whatever. There's things I like about it, things I don't. I, I wouldn't consider it one of his best works, but there, there's a very tra- tragic and fucked up climax to that movie involving a cornfield, and it's so good. It's like the the first time the movie like wakes up. Like the it's mm-hmm. a three hour movie, and at two hours forty five, the movie's like, all right, we're we're a movie now. Yeah, um, yeah. But it it's so tragic and so like not what you're ready for and great. But then it kind of just gets undercut. Like it, it, I, I feel like he kind of backs off. Whether it's Taxi Driver, whether it's King of Comedy, there's always kind of like a sardonic twist or something that kind of just undercuts what just came before, and it's unneeded. And and I, I have so much respect for uh, filmmakers that just go tragedy all the way. Like, all right, yeah, the tragic moment is where we're going to end this, and we're going to leave you in your seat, kind of feeling the weight of it rather than uh you know backing off and be like oh no it's okay i was just joking mm-hmm. it's fine you know whatever <laughs> you know it it just goes to show you some of the best directors can still um be beholden to probably that wrong impulse in my opinion yeah yeah and and you know on that note i'm i'm going to contradict myself here but i actually just watched signs recently and i regret not watching it <laughs> for so long like just i love signs just yeah I, I don't know why i hadn't seen it in so long or why i hadn't seen it at all because my my uh co-director daryl he always you know recommended hey you should see this you should see this and finally i sat down and watched it uh, about a month ago or so and the ending of that is so triumphant like there's so yes. much joy in the end you, you feel so good after it and it was done so well um despite all the tragedy throughout the film and uh, it, it kind of inspired me to want to create something triumphant like that in the future and, and potentially change a film idea that I have um, down the road. So I, I know I want to make tra- tragedies, but I also do want to make something triumphant like signs. Yeah, I do like a triumphant ending. I, you know, I'm, I'm susceptible as anyone uh, for that kind of stuff. Um, I, I like a, I like a good triumph and signs is definitely a triumph. It, it, I like that it kind of brings it back down to a personal triumph right at the mm-hmm. end. Like it's yeah. a triumph for the family and it's like, great, you know, all that worked out, but then it, it just brings it, it dials it back in this really nice way to be just about this one man's very simple triumph as far yeah, as it, like what he's going to do with his life. I love exactly, that. Exactly. Yeah. Have you seen a lot of M night movies? Cause I feel like he kind of gets like wrongfully maligned in my opinion. I think he's a much better filmmaker than uh, sometimes he gets credit for. Um, I, I haven't seen a lot of M night. Uh, I'm sorry to say I would recommend the visit, the visit. Okay. Yeah. yeah I'll, I'll put that on my list. That's a really good one of his that he made way after signs, but I really like a lot. I think it's uh, one of the best found footage movies I've ever seen. Um, very different tone to some of his stuff, but you still kind of feel his uh, fingerprints on it. Um, and just a very unusual horror. It came out at a time when horror was very, very predictable and had been for a while. And I think, uh, you know, people that maybe shit on M. Night a little bit, they kind of like, oh, yeah, the visit's pretty good. I'll, I'll give them that. I think they shit on him a lot of bit. A lot <laughs> of it. Really yeah, uncalled it's, it for. It seems unfounded, Yeah. Yeah, I think he's one of the best filmmakers we have, and uh, I will be remembered as such, uh, despite random people on the internet giving him mm-hmm. shit or intentionally mispronouncing his last name or or whatever to make fun of him, which was a thing for a while. They would call yeah, him like yeah. Shamalama Ding Dong. That, yeah. It's so weird <laughs> that that was like a fucking thing. That was like an mm-hmm. internet accepted whatever. But yeah, I'll, I'll always go out and see his films for sure. Mm-hmm. And and circling back to your your question, where where I stand, like film wise, I, I feel like a nomad. Like I don't know where to look. Like I'm on YouTube looking for for films to see. I'm on TikTok looking for films. Just to see. Just ask me. You know, you, you know me. <laughs> I'll just I'll just ask you exactly. That's a good. Okay, good advice. <laughs> yeah, maybe the people at home can't, but you can, which uh, you should uh, you know take advantage of. 
You know, mm-hmm. I, I, I worked will, at a vi- I, I worked at a video store for many, many years. It was one of the best services I provided was literally just steering people in the right direction of movies. You know, anybody can hit buttons on a computer and, and rent the yeah. stuff to them. But <laughs> if I can find some kind of choice movie that just scratches a very specific itch for them, and I, I've probably changed some lives uh, over those many years when I was a video store employee. Because uh, a well-picked movie can really just be an unforgettable experience. So in that... That's the truth, yeah. yeah in, that, <laughs> in the spirit of that, what are you in the mood for right now? Because I'll prescribe something to you right now. What are you feeling? What, what, what kind of craving do you have movie-wise? Okay, uh, right now I'm looking for... I'm looking for creativity and artistic license. And I guess I'll, I'll, uh, I'll reference Buffalo 66 for, for that. And that you, you're, you actually led me to that movie yourself by talking about it a lot. And, and I, I love that film. So something along those lines, but also the film Cemetery Man or in, in Italian, Della Morte, Della More. I, I just, I just love what I'm liking recently is more creative, artistic decisions being made that don't exactly show you a literal something happening like right here and now but depicting an emotion that takes place so to speak like i just watched neon demon recently and and that movie kind of sings to me in a different way it's very hypnotizing the pacing of the of the film is very is very slow but it 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 flows really well um but there's a lot of artistic license in there in in the way the emotions are are portrayed so it's like I want something that if if you were to describe an emotion, here is the emotion artistically as opposed to here's just the person feeling the emotion. You know what I mean? So in Buffalo 66, when Christina Ricci's character, you know, obviously no spotlight actually came out and the whole bowling alley didn't go dark. And when she started dancing, that was just what she felt internally. And I want more stuff like that. All right. Well, that's, you know, obviously we're talking about a wonderful film here. So uh and and probably my favorite movie you know i don't know if it's literally my favorite but it, it's the movie i i mention if somebody asks me my favorite movie i'll just tell mm-hmm, them mm-hmm. buffalo 66 so i would i'm going to give you a couple of recommendations i'm not going to okay, yeah, give you one cuz i don't think one is going to hit all of it but i think we can kind of and make, and i know i just i just gave you three completely yeah. <laughs> different films from all different sides yeah. but they all have their yeah, they I think we can uh, create things. kind of like a three-headed hydra or something of films <laughs> that that you can enjoy. So one that kind of I think is kind of a must see for you is um Kim Ki-duk is one of my favorite filmmakers. I would recommend uh his film uh Moebius. Uh, I don't know exactly how to pronounce it, but you know like a Moebius strip like a I don't, I don't know what the pronunciation is, but M O E B I U S. Okay. Film he made in 2013. Very strange movie. No dialogue. Okay. No spoken mm-hmm. dialogue. It's a Korean film. There's little moments where there's uh, English uh, writing on screen or whatever, um, but there's no actual spoken dialogue. So every single thing in this film, this very complex. Uh, not as in Byz- Byzantine plot, but like complex as far as emotion and and family drama. Everything is is conveyed without the use of dialogue whatsoever. And in this way where you understand that what you're watching isn't literally reality. Um, you're just watching these these expressions. Imagine like a very dysfunctional family who every single member of it couldn't speak and also speaking wasn't even a thing. Like we're living in a world where you can't even talk. Um, and we have this family that's trying to deal with all these fucked up things that are going through their minds and they can't even talk. And that's their world. Uh, that's how I would describe it. It's a stunning film. Uh, we lost Kim ki way too soon. We lost him a couple of years ago. Um, I believe he he wasn't even 60 yet. Uh, he had way more films left in him, I'm sure. Uh, one of my favorite filmmakers. So that's that's one pick. Um, Beautiful on the list. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Also, I would I would recommend. You know, I'm not going to recommend all his films because he's a very interesting and strange director. Um, but Michael Haneke 
I, I really like his stuff, but particularly my favorite film of his is The Seventh Continent, which okay. uh, is his first film, I believe. I might be wrong on that, but I think it's his first feature film. Very strange. Also, again, very strange family dynamic, tragic story about a family that decides to do something. Uh, I'll leave okay. it at that. But uh, Moibus and Seventh Continent. And then you're going to need something lighter. You All will right, need yeah, something yeah. lighter after mm-hmm. those two. <laughs> I, I'm I'm telling you now. How much Albert Brooks have you seen? Uh, zero. Let's zero. Say. Okay. Yes, zero. All right. Lost in America. Start there. I always recommend people start with Lost in America. Um, okay. First of all, it'll teach you about America. You know, you're mm-hmm. you're Canadian. You don't know what we're doing over here. Um, <laughs> I kind of do. Yeah, I, our ca- Canadians are are stupidly obsessed with what Americans are doing. Okay, um, fair enough. So, on, on, I do know a lot about about it, but, but yeah, let's <laughs> continue. Let's assume you you know nothing. You're just okay, living okay. a strange brew esque experience up there in Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> let, let's let's assume that. And if you wanted to be introduced to America in some capacity, I would recommend Lost in America. Okay, um, awesome. It's essentially a very light romantic comedy kind of road movie, but there are some just incredible moments of depth there, um, both comedic depth and kind of uh, lines that always kind of make me tear up a little bit, just because of how how well they are said. Um, Albert Brooks is a, a writer, director, actor, uh, comedian, mm-hmm. really, really great stuff that he's done. Uh, and also something he does a lot, which I really enjoy, is that he'll he'll make a, a scene linger for way longer than anybody else will. So like if he if he knows that like at three minutes uh, it's funny, he knows that like if we can just bring it up to like a six or seven minute scene, by the time it hits six or seven minutes, it's going to be fucking hilarious. Um, because you'll just break through that like awkward thing. Like in a, I feel like, uh, around when you made like Carnival Sugar Moxie humor was, was being in that way in a very like a kind of annoying way. So like there would be jokes on like uh family guy or whatever, where they just do the same joke for like really, really long amounts of time or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. But that was like, that was the nuanceless version of what I'm describing. Mm-hmm. Albert Burks will do it almost in like a Tarantino esque way, like the opening of Inglorious Bastards or something, but for comedy, you know, yeah, yeah, two people talking across a table, particularly in a in a scene in Lost in America that I'm kind of alluding to. <clears throat> two people talking across a table can be funny. <clears throat> oh man, let me get a drink of water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Two people having a conversation. Like I said, couple minutes in, it's it's already funny. But let's make it uncomfortable, and then let's make it funny again. Yeah. Um, so he's <laughs> he's very skilled at that. So I would recommend uh, those three movies. Uh, amazing, amazing. I, I will I will fulfill this watch list. I'm actually going to make this. By the way, I'm going to make this a new segment. Every episode, if I have a guest on, I'm going to try and prescribe them uh, at least one movie that they they would be in the mood for. Cool, cool. <laughs> I love it. But that that brings us to our our already ongoing segment, which uh, as you as you of course know the know the show, you know what's coming up. Uh, it's mm-hmm. stupid questions. Can I ask you some stupid questions? Please do. All right. So John Otis, your name is is John Otis. That's your professional name, yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. So, are you aware that uh, one Sir John Harrington invented the flushing toilet? uh no okay (laughs) i'm not aware all right that's why they call it a john that's why they call a toilet a john okay yeah i i I never knew who the inventor was or what the connection was to that but that that was you know growing up named john there's all these you know rhymes and stuff that that uh, you know john john with nothing on or whatever however it goes and there's john jacob jingleheimer schmidt and then and then there's oh you're also a toilet so yeah i've i've had that (laughs) I, I I didn't know that that's why it was um, it was John Harrington. Yeah. John Harrington, <laughs> inventor of the flushing toilet. Also, <laughs> all right, your last name and your professional last name is Otis. <clears throat> Are you aware of uh, Elisha Otis, inventor of the modern elevator? Yes, actually, because at my at my work, elevators have the Otis, you know logo on it and even escalators have otis on it. i don't know if um, he invented escalators as well but from the same company yes i did 
<laughs> I was aware of that one. <laughs> okay, so are you aware that your professional name roughly means toilet elevator? <laughs> I guess I have to live with it now. Um, I think it should go on a business card. I think it should okay. go John Otis on one line and then in parentheses underneath it, toilet elevator. And then underneath <laughs> that, you know, whatever you do videography-wise as well. Okay, okay, yes. I'll, I'll get those printed stat. <laughs> okay. All right, next stupid question. Do okay. you say a boot? Um, I don't say... It, it, Americans have it wrong when it comes to the the uh, what the pronunciation is. Uh-oh. It's more like a boot is what you say when you make fun of it, but it's more like a boat. A boat? It's more like it's more yeah. Okay. It's it's stranger. Like I kind of forced it there mm-hmm. because you know I know how to say about, <laughs> but but it's 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 a little a boot is a little off. About is you know where where it is right american wise okay i think but it's somewhere it's actually somewhere in between and and it is very noticeable it's still noticeable all right but next question is just the uh the exaggeration of it all right do you say sorry instead of sorry i don't know that's a canadian thing if you watch old I'm, episodes I'm of the grassy the grassy people are saying sorry <laughs> oh sorry. i'm sorry well i'm sorry yeah. i guess yeah i guess you're right i don't know because <laughs> we say sorry here we put like sorry. an A in it. We're like sorry, yeah. It's yeah, ridiculous. I mean, yeah, it is. Yeah, I think we, I think we say sorry. Yeah. yeah, sorry. Yeah, that's what I say. Sorry. Yeah, that's that. <laughs> then we have a Canadian thing there. Yeah, yeah. So do you do you say A? Um, I haven't said that in a long time. You kind of it, it, quit. It's nothing conscious, but I, I I've never said A. Yeah, I, I haven't said it in a long time. That's a it, Canadian thing as well. It, it it is definitely a Canadian thing, and it uh. It's it's more of like um, a rural Canadian thing. There is there are really heavy accents when the more out of you know the metropolis you get, like the populated zones. So it, they are more pronounced. And it, I mean, it is it's a thing, <laughs> but I, I can't recall the last time I said it. Okay. All right. One last question: Have you seen Yoga Hosers? Yoga Hosers, the Kevin Smith movie set in Canada. Oh no, I haven't seen that. It's really um, good. I like it. I go I go to bat for it. Yoga hosers. Hold on. That okay. That came after Tusk, right? Yes. I didn't like Tusk, but I like yoga hosers. Okay. I, I actually like. I, I like Tusk. <laughs> That's fine. That's <laughs> but, fine. But that being said, I did want to see yoga hosers. It's and good. I did, and I did want to see Moose Jaws, but he never. He never ended up producing it. It's coming. It's coming. Yeah, it was a part of his like you know Canadian triple you know yeah, feature see, thing. He loves Canada. Big fan of Canada. <laughs> yeah, he, he, I mean, yeah, I love Kevin Smith. I went and saw um, an evening with Kevin Smith uh, before, and I, I just love the guy's energy. And I, I actually saw Clerks way back in the day when it first came out. I remember being in public school seeing Clerks. So that was very strange. But At like an assembly? No, 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 no. <laughs> All right, we're going to stop everything, kids. No, no math class today. We're going to find out how many dicks this lady sucked. Yeah, no, but I was I was in public school, like of public school age, and I saw that movie, and I don't even know how it came across me or the friend that you know introduced me to it. But I I saw it, and, and ever since, like I've been a Kevin Smith fan because then he made Mallrats and and Chasing Amy and Dogma, obviously, and and yeah, I, I've been um I, I'm a, I'm a Kevin Smith fan, so I haven't seen Yoga Hosers yet, but I do need to see that. Yes, I recommend it. I'm a Kevin Smith fan as well. My first one was, I believe, Dogma. Uh, when that came out, I was like the exact right age to start watching Kevin Smith movies, and then I, of mm-hmm. course, kind of made my way backwards, caught up on what I missed, and then by the time Jay and Silent Bob Strikes Back came out, I was all ready for that and everything. So. Uh, yeah, that was my uh, Kevin Smith kind of lineage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Well, John Otis, you got to come back. Uh, great talking to you. Um, anything you want to leave the listeners with? You, you Feel free to praise me again in some capacity. We can, <laughs> we can always use those. Yes, Cody Clark, um, I will go to bat for you forever. So whatever. I don't care if anyone ever calls me a fanboy. I'm a, I'm a big fan of Cody Clark. Um, that said... You can find me on Twitter, um, John Otis Films, at John Otis Films. And um, I will definitely come back uh, when I get some more 
work done towards my next film and update you on everything and let you know what's going on. I'm looking forward to it. And everybody at home, please watch Caramel Sugar Moxie on YouTube please for do. free. Please do. Yeah, <laughs> it's it need, on YouTube, yeah. It needs the views. Uh, I think only me and Dan Lotz are the, are the people <laughs> in the world who have seen it. Both who and, both liked it a lot. Yeah, so. and, and just type and, in And Chloe Peltier as, as well, very big fan. Oh, so Chloe. We got, uh, we got I, I three fans. Too. She's great. Yes. She's the best. Both of you, yes. yes. You guys are a, a, a great team. And I want to see Co- uh, Chloe in more of your films. I want to see her direct her own films. Yeah, she's she's great. That's always the thing people say, by the way. Everyone's always like, <laughs> why don't you put Chloe in more stuff? And Chloe's like, why don't you put Chloe in more stuff? And I'm just like, ah, I'm just, you know, I'm just following the muse, you know. I'll, mm-hmm, I fit mm-hmm. people in when they're applicable. Yeah, when know? it makes sense. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Absolutely. All right, John, great talking to you. All right, great talking to you too. Thank you all for listening. Once again, $2 per month at killthelinefilms.com. It keeps this podcast afloat. It keeps the movies we make afloat. Thank you for listening. See you soon.